That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello. This episode of Three Black Halflings is sponsored by you, our patrons. So thank you very much to Dark Fringe, Isaac and Lottie, who recently became patrons. An extra shout out to Remco, who I believe missed their previous shout out on the show. Uh, if you are interested in helping us and supporting us, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash TB Halflings to find out all the extra goodness that you can get. But without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. <laughs> Hello, halflings. I am Jasper William Cartwright, and with me today, as always, is Leando Nati Lewis Nyao, but everybody calls me Onati. And Jeremy Cobb, but one person calls me Jeremiden. They're one of my best friends, and they're probably never going to listen to this episode, but hey, in case you actually do. <laughs> Love that. And today, these three halflings are unbelievably excited to welcome the one, the only, DM of D20, star of college humor, Brennan Lee Mulligan. Holy crap, thank you so much for being here. This is crazy. How are you doing today? (laughs) You are not delicious! Listen to us talk about fan art in episode three. (laughs) This makes them even more black. Oh my god! Vandal in the broad! Lemming, lemming, teachable moment. Yeah. Full prince vibe? Ooh. Is this the wrong dungeon and the wrong dragon? Yeah. We're about to get into something real big now. Oh my gosh, gang, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. My goodness, this is awesome. Do not be ridiculous. We are excited to have you on the show. <laughs> this is this is awesome. Um, Don't be excited to be here. Let us be excited to have you. Yeah, come on. This is our it moment, is a contest. It is a contest. Only one of us can win. And, um, uh, and it will be Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the episode is us just getting uh, more and more excited to try and be like... <laughs> this episode was 90 minutes of sort of competitive introducing each other and yeah. uh but that's yeah. great we love it but that's great um we are unbelievably excited to have you brennan uh i i made a, i'm gonna make a very conscious effort that we don't get into uh a lot of uh any politics today because i think this would be a nice reprieve from that but i do just want to ask how are you doing i know you've been doing a lot of incredible work uh, over in the US, you've been doing phone banks, uh, and your Twitter feed for the last few weeks has just been like, let's get out there, let's do this. Um, and so, just how are you feeling? We're recording this on the Friday, this is coming out on the Monday, so this is all gonna be very fresh. Things are still up in the air, but how are you doing? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm feeling as as good as can be expected. Any all all persons of of conscience and good heart in the United States, I think, have been badly burned by the past four years. So nobody wants to celebrate, even as the news continues to be better and better and better. Yep. Everyone, <laughs> you know, like it's it's I saw a tweet 
bouncing around that was like all of the country is like watching, you know, like January 20th rolls around and the country will be like watching Joe Biden, like walk up to the Bible to swear in <laughs> and still be like, we don't know yet. Something yeah. could go wrong. Yeah. yeah the, the, that is very much the vibe. Checking I mean. the Bible for booby traps. Just to yeah, like, we don't know. Um, uh, one of my other favorite podcasts was just like, uh, it's a political podcast and they were like, as far as I'm concerned, Joe Biden should do nothing nothing from now until election day until inauguration like, just like lock, lock him, him in a basement yeah. make sure down. that no germs go near him just <laughs> do you know what i mean just keep uh, this man safe a hundred percent no for I, to, to summarize i feel very very grateful um that it seems you know on the one hand it should never have even been this close but on the other hand you can count on one hand in american politics the number of times that a party has only held the presidency for 4 years right that's a very yes. It's yes. a very historic thing. Like incumbents don't lose in American politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And landslides uh, are very rare. And landslides are very, very yeah. rare. Um, so there's that to consider as well. Uh, also, but also on a personal level, I'm very happy. Look, I'm like a very far left dude. Making phone banks for a candidate that was not my first or second choice was not like how I necessarily wanted to spend my time. Mm. But it's one of these weird. So I think I have a lot of gratitude for the results. I have a lot of gratitude that now I get to go back to using my volunteer time, my donation dollars to advocate for causes that are like directly in line with my values rather Mm -hmm. than just trying to stop fascism you know like the that's the thing it's like it's like i what it's it's like you know it's there's someone who used a thing of like of like just is joe biden going to take us in the right direction or not and for me it's this whole thing of like of like there are any direction uh, right now <laughs> it's, it's like listen every like historians the world over who study authoritarianism and fascism have been sounding the alarm mm. for four years holocaust survivors are going like man this feels eerily familiar so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't consider this us walking in the right direction i consider it we're on the side of the road unable to walk at all because we have a bleeding wound in our stomach let's mm-hmm. wrap that up with some gauze and then hopefully now looking to the future it's progressive leftist candidates all over the country that are moving us in a better direct. Like I'm excited for 2022 where you, and also like in the great news last night, in addition to phone banking, I was also campaigning for Nithya Raman, who's an extremely local candidate in Los Angeles, who's DSA approved. She's one of the only people who's really talking about the housing crisis out here. A bunch of socialist candidates all over the country won their elections last uh, on Tuesday. So very happy for the presidential results. Very happy to now be able to do things that are directly in line with my values and with like yep. super woke progressive candidates all over the country. Uh, now that the bleeding has been at least it seems like stopped. So that's that's where yep. your boy is at on this wonderful Friday morning as we're recording. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're feeling I was there was a part of me that was like, this could be a real this could be an interview you know like because i mean hey i've been glued to this i've been watching this i was like this could be an interview you know this this went the wrong way we're all just so Um, depressed yeah literally all of us just like well fascism just won um the end of all things yeah (laughs) literally that's how it felt that's literally how it felt um 
But no, let's, uh, now that we uh, have realized that we're not in the darkest timeline and that there is uh, some light and hope in the world, uh, let's move on to something that all brings us a considerable amount of light and hope, which is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, We are so excited to be talking to the OG Brennan Lee Mulligan. Um, I just want to say on a personal note, uh, Escape from Bloodleap, I genuinely think is one of the single best shows. I, I think it is phenomenal. Your DMing is incredible. Uh, I remember literally wanting to throw up with laughter at the uh, at the fact that I that you lost your bones. It was just it was too funny. <laughs> um, so to talk about this, I, we always do uh, like to do a little origin story um, for anyone who's lived under a rock um, for however long, which is understandable. Uh, just a little bit of an origin story about you, um, where you started. We know you started uh, LARPing, if I'm right. Yes. And obviously you're now at D20, College Humor, just, yeah. Uh, you even actually, when we were off air, you actually had a discussion about, uh, our, our, uh, other friend of the show, uh, Lou Wilson. Ah! And the fact that you guys are best friends. I think people want to hear this. <laughs> uh, uh, Lou Wilson, I love with all of my heart and soul. Um, yeah, in addition to being co-cast members on Dimension 20, um, uh, he is also, uh, uh, we improvised together as a team called the House of Gains, so named because we're also workout buddies. Uh, <laughs> so we had a two-man improv team. Uh, uh, he's one of my best friends in the entire world. I love him with all my heart. And he, of course, a luminary D&D player who I have been hassling nonstop to run run stuff he has been dm he's he runs an amazing campaign for his friends and i'm lucky enough to play in one of his campaigns um uh but lou i, I was uh, uh we started playing a couple years ago but prior to that in terms of like origin story stuff i i um so I, I, I was never going to be missed by this stuff right my mom <laughs> was a comic book writer um, you know, this, this is one of those things where it's like some people do, like some people happen upon this game. Mm-hmm. I was in the in the crosshairs for this game from like my mom is a Celtic <laughs> myth and Arthurian scholar, um, wow. comic book yeah. writer. Um, I was a little goddamn dork you actually came out <laughs> like holding a player's handbook right like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. um well it was so one of the happening was i was always a little like very like nerdy little kid obsessed with like mythology and fairy tales and stuff like that and uh when i was 10 years old um when I so I got taken out of public school uh, and homeschooled because I w- the bullying had gotten to a point where for for life and limb I was not my mom was not about me going to middle school mm. I just I had a very I just got picked on a lot uh, and when I look back at videos of myself as a little kid I don't think the kids were right to pick on me but I was mm. very nerdy um, <laughs> so I don't, hey, welcome to the club <laughs> I don't endorse what what happened but but if you're gonna ask me to explain it there are some explanations that are available. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, but one of the things my mom did when I was 10 years old is she was like hey like you know brands having a hard time uh, let's let's look around and see if there are other ways to find community and friend groups. And D&D was a big one of those. So my mom put up a flyer in our local gaming store, October Country, and uh, a group of incredibly generous 20-somethings were like, yeah, we'll teach a 10-year-old how to play. Um, <laughs> and were kind enough to like have me in their game for a little while. Again, tremendously generous. As I was there for a little while and ended up... Um, uh, and then going to my friends and, you know, 10 year olds don't have any of the like 
self-criticism or self-doubt that you get start for me like starting around 12 is when those like oh like oh what am i am i doing the right thing am i doing the right (laughs) thing so when i was 10 i was like damn i played four sessions time to start running a game you know like and and so uh, and just started running games ever since and and then you know the rest as they say is history i just um love it so much uh and and around the same time also started attending a live action role-playing summer camp um so so what's very funny is is in terms of all the college humor stuff and performance and comedy Mm. all of that stuff actually rests on a bedrock of improvisation through the lens of larping and through D. um Mm. that's that's sort of my foundation um and so i had the privilege and honor of watching this game blow up because when i was 10 it was very much that old that old vibe kind of as a residual from like the <laughs> 1980s of like mm-hmm. you play D D. that's some like like nerds versus jocks <laughs> or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah uh, which has kind of now fallen like fallen by the wayside right like i remember being in mm. my being in my 20s and watching the kind of explosion of Mm-hmm. D and star wars and all this other stuff and i remember someone saying like you know at the point where the all of the highest grossing media properties are these genre fiction stories at what point are we going to stop talking about nerd culture and just admit this is pop culture this like is culture. yeah this is culture you know like uh so that's my little origin story um, I love that. I, I really hope that somewhere it, there is some like uh, what now, you know, older, like 10 years older than you guys just sat there going, wait, that kid became Brennan Lee Mulligan? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, like the same people that like played with like Michael Jordan when he was like first, you know, like just on the court, like just like messing around. They're like, whoa, he became like, I, yeah. I, I the really fact that I, that my, I cannot believe that I have lived in my life to be compared to Michael Jordan. What an insane. <laughs> uh, you are erroneous, the Michael Jordan of Erroneous, yeah. erroneous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's for anyone but, who's yeah. seen the last dance michael jordan just took personal offense to this <laughs> yeah, i know that dude is that dude is the world's most famous person and damn does he hold a grudge i just watched yeah. the last oh, dance wow, wow. it's, it's, it's unreal intense. It is intense. You have everything. About everything. <laughs> to watch a guy, I know this is a DD podcast, but just for a second, to watch a guy who is arguably the best human at anything that there's ever been like you the person mm-hmm. says it in the documentary of like Michael Jordan is better at basketball than maybe anyone has ever been at anything like compare at it to carpentry thing, yeah. compare it to politics <laughs> yeah. compare it to whatever yeah. you want um and to watch that dude who has hit the zenith of human success and watch him be there and be like let me tell you I'm still mad about a lot of shit is <laughs> Getting mad that a guy walks past him in a restaurant. Okay, that's how we're going to do it. Oh, I make some stories. Like, this guy said this to me. Did he? No, he didn't. But he openly. Yeah. He openly says that's just like that's what drove him though. Like he made yeah. these narratives in his head because that's just what made like it made him angry. And hey, I mean, if it makes you dunk like that, hey, I mean, you, know, you you can't knock the numbers, right? Like, yeah. I think we should Ooh. all just be thankful he went into basketball and not like business <laughs> or politics <laughs> or something like that. We all got off easy with this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, absolutely. 
Um, uh, so to dive more into uh, your uh, Dungeons and Dragons life, uh, this was actually a question that had been posed by Jeremy. So feel free, Jeremy, if you want to uh, add anything to this. But we were really interested in how you uh, how do you prepare for sessions, sure. uh, and like very specifically, like if there's any difference between preparing for like a D twenty session and like a home game, because I feel yeah. like. Having now experienced uh, playing a game that's going to be viewed by other people, it's a very different vibe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you fit, because like, Jeremy's just started DMing for us live, so it's a bit like, it's a whole different dynamic. Hell yeah. Uh, so that's a great question, right? And I think that, like, what you've absolutely hit the nail on the head on is, like, the the actual play component is a very real part you know there's there's that thing in like quantum physics where like like even on a physical level observation changes the nature of reality right Mm -hmm. so knowing that you're being watched but what's interesting about dimension 20 is everyone there has a lot of performance background and for me i don't necessarily feel that i'm that i'm like my home games are I try to hit that same level of like engagement and enthusiasm and fun in my home games. The difference to me with the biggest thing about dimension 20 is the clock, right? Is that Mm. we're, we're pre-taped. We have a set number of episodes. Like I think our live season for sophomore year of fantasy high was way closer to how I run home games because we didn't know how many episodes the season was going to be when we started. Mm. Right. So there's, so the, the, to me, the, the, the element that was really different about dimension 20 versus home games is in a home game, I go, I need to prepare for next session. And over time, my vision of the future of the campaign is going to coalesce. I'm going to know. I'm going to know what villains my PCs really love to fight against. I'm going to know what areas of the world they're interested in. So this kind of like, as you begin playing from your first session onwards, you develop this kind of like constellation of the future mm-hmm. of the campaign through these pinpoints of like, here's what they like, here's what they're interested in, here's what they hate, here's what they. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. All of which, just like when I was improvising at UCP, is just based on audience feedback, right? And on an improv mm-hmm. show, your audience is the people in the seats, but at the table, your audience is your players, right? You have a mutually beneficial relationship of going like, cool, when, you, when I spark joy in you guys, I'm always logging that. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the only thing I ever need to prep for is the next session. With sure. Dimension 20, with the maestro Rick Perry. Shout out to Rick Perry. Um, Big love to Rick Perry. Lots of love to Rick show. Perry. <laughs> like, Rick needs to build those sets way ahead of time. And for our production, they need to know it's a set number of episodes. So everything that changes about Dimension 20 is like, we got to hit these battle sets that the company dropped a lot of money on. We got to hit mm. them in the right order for when they're going to be ready. And we got to bring the you mean You mean Rick doesn't just dump that out like it like last minute? Like... <laughs> These honestly, like those sets, man, they those are, are absolutely so ridiculous. Amazing. And they're always, there's always bits, there's always extra bits that I see, like you're like halfway through the thing, you're like, oh yeah, and this happens, and you like lift up a hatch, and oh. there's a bit underneath, and it's just like, or you dump a massive monster on there. It's oh man, he is a yeah. he is a wizard, right? Like, and that's the crazy thing too about Rick is Rick has been playing tabletops forever, but prior to jumping onto Fantasy High, Rick was doing production design for films, TV, classical. You know, like in addition to building those sets, Rick built the dome, right? That's like, kind of like what he's a oh, carpenter. Wow. He's a full Sweet. production designer. Like that's kind of work he was doing. And then he got brought on by our awesome season one producer, uh, Lucretia Stinnett. Um, 
uh, and uh, jumped in and it was like, cool, you're going to be doing this and also going into this minis world. And Rick jumped in and immediately out of the gate was like, oh, this is going to be me and the other Dimension 20 players are going to be playing in the best battle sets that have ever been made, each one unique. Like I'm blown away by Rick, right? Like he mm. he and, and his team too, Sabrina, Maxie, Shane, Nate, like just an incredible squad of people that – it, what an what a, an unearned joy and privilege to be like, hey, here's a unique toy. It's the best it's ever been. You're gonna play with it one time and then put it away. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, amazing! So I uh, totally interrupted you then because you were—I uh, think you were just going on to uh, to, to, to say this. The more of the differences, I think. Sorry. Oh yeah. So so again, <clears throat> the the hardest things about about doing Dimension Twenty that make it different than a home game again are. The, the logistical realities of having to get to these battle sets, right? Um, mm. uh, which all, all of that means, I think, as a, as a DN. So, well, I also want to keep this, like, like, like interesting and useful for your listeners. So there's a lot of advice. If anyone wants to hit me up on Twitter, if you're starting an actual play show and you want to know about, like, how to get your PCs to a battle set without railroading them or, like, how to... You know, being like, okay, you have 18 episodes. It's got to be satisfying at the end of episode 18. That's when your story has to end. Those are skills that are stressful to learn because I didn't have any practice in them before the Mm. first season of Fantasy High, right? I just Mm. been doing home games. But I think in prep for for home games, and I think this is probably a lot more useful for people that are listening to the the podcast, is like, I, I, you know, a lot of there's a lot of DM tips channels that stress the importance of preparation. Those people are all right. Go listen to them. I want to be a voice on the other side saying 80% of what makes my games good is improvisation, right? It's mm-hmm. 20% prep, 80% improvisation. And what I mean by that is not that I don't do prep work, but I think that you need to prep smart. Mm. Putting your... Because like most people are running a game for free for their pals. It's a hobby. It's in your spare time. Putting this effort on yourself as a dungeon master to be like, uh, you better have the stat block for the random creature in corner X of the dungeon. That's going to be like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh my God, it's like this person is do- like, this person has a 40 hour a week job. Like we want yeah. them to like, yeah. uh, uh, as opposed to, I, I think underlining that, there are areas of a session that you can put less prep work into and get more return on your investment, right? When you make a city and give it a name and come up with a vibe to it that you're like, this is kind of the vibe of this city. This is kind of the genre it's in. It's gothic mm. horror. It's a bustling tropical port. It's a, a studious winterland academic place. You get a vibe. Mm. You make a couple of NPCs with a couple of personalities. You are putting effort into things that will have a tremendous return on investment. Because when you make mm. an NPC, all of a sudden, you can use them in a number of different settings. They can show up in a number of different locales, right? As opposed to making like a rigid script of like they're going to go to room one and then room two and then room three, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know that they're going to go to room one first. You don't know that they're yeah, not going to go. You don't clear. know. You don't know what these. <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna go to room x you know that's what they're gonna do like that wasn't even a room on the map (laughs) like they're gonna go there (laughs) so 
so there's this element of of intensive preparatory work that to me is kind of like putting on extremely heavy armor, your gauntlets, your greaves, the breastplate, like getting all this stuff up. And to me, it's like, forget that. Take the armor off, mm. prep a of a dagger, a sword, stay limber because you don't know what you're going to do. It's much better for you to prep these things that are toy, you know, toys in a toy chest that are going to, you know. And to mm. further the armor analogy as well, you're going to need to roll some stealth checks when you're flying by the seat of your pants and you don't want disadvantage because you're wearing a full suit of armor, <laughs> yeah. you know? So having a smaller number of prepared tools that you are able to use in more and varied circumstances uh, is I think a way, but you're like, okay, we got a city. I have a couple of likely enemy stat blocks. I have some NPCs that I like. And then putting time and effort into um, flexing your, developing your improv muscle, developing the thing that lets you know, like, I don't know if they're going to go to the tavern, the palace, or the docks first, but I know that the information I need for this next adventure plot hook doesn't need to just come from one NPC. Things like that of let, letting your mm-hmm. life be easier, of like maybe the ship captain says it, maybe the barkeep says it, right? Like mm-hmm. just staying a little bit looser um, mm. allows you to A, not give yourself a headache about things going off the rails and B, honor your players' choices a lot more. Like let them mm. lead the narrative. So that's my that's my feelings on preparation. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Um, I think, Jeremy, you'd asked about the start of campaigns as well. Like, specifically, I think there was something that you'd mentioned about uh, the, the starting a campaign. Uh, I don't know if you had anything mm. specific there. If not, I can I can jump on. Well, sure, I can jump in there. Um, I guess a good question would be, at the beginning of a campaign, what kind of prep work would you say that you do? Like, for instance, approaching a campaign with the players. Do you work with the players on their backstories, or is it more of a, send me your backstories, and then we're gonna, you know, we're just gonna throw out an adventure, and we're gonna see what happens? Uh, This question slaps, and I think that that people desperately, direly underrate the importance of of coordinating the beginning of the campaign before the campaign begins. Mm. I hear shit all the time. The weird thing about D&D is like it, prior to things like, you know, big actual play shows, mm-hmm. everyone was doing it in a bubble, right? Like mm. I knew what was happening with my little 12-year-old friends when we were playing out in my backyard in a little sort of tent, like rolling dice. I knew that we were like ignoring certain rules that we thought weren't fun and like winging it and and being more invested in the storytelling. Like I knew that, but I didn't know how anyone else was playing D&D because the whole thing about D&D is it's very decentralized, right? You know, you get these rule books, Mm. but then there's no, like if you, if you judge a rule differently as a DM, you know, Jeremy Crawford's not going to teleport into your room and be like, wrong. <laughs> you know, like, that would be so yeah. harrowing. Crawford <laughs> smites you. Yeah. Divine yeah. Smite. <laughs> you know, like, I would immediately stop playing Dungeons and Dragons if that ever happened. So it's watching. Speak not his name. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, don't say it three times in the mirror at night. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise Jeremy Crawford will come and force you to roll for an hour. 100%, right? Um, but I think that, um, uh, so, you know, it's a very decentralized game. And I think that, uh, when I started to hear, 
uh, like how that, that that I was very much in the minority of DMs that like really carefully conducted character creation, talking about what we wanted from the campaign. Uh, uh, that that like when I heard how many DMs are like, yeah, just show up with a character and I'll we'll just start. You don't know what world it's going to be in, like. I don't know. Imagine like the epic fantasy adventures of the, like, I don't know, like imagine if, you know, Chronicles of Narnia started and it wasn't, you know, two brothers and two sisters. It's just like four randos that show up in Narnia. Yeah. You're like, How do you guys know each other? Like, why are you all go walking into a wardrobe for literally no reason? And it's like, we don't know. We showed up and the DM didn't prep. So to me, the whole idea, like, What's the goal of D&D? The goal of D&D is different for everybody, right? But for me, as a player and as a DM, the goal of D&D is to live in a story, right? To mm. have the feeling of the first-person experience of going on an epic adventure. And no, nowhere in the world's myths or fairy tales or legends communicate the idea that the hero or heroes are not deeply embedded in the fabric of the world, right? Like mm. that it's like, let me mm. tell you a tale of a kingdom and the complete strangers to that kingdom who rolled up with no idea <laughs> of what was going on. No, the, the, the mm -hmm. heroes are in the fabric of their community and their world. And that doesn't happen unless you coordinate, right? So, mm. so there's a couple types of coordination, right? The coordination to me is a session zero where you're setting safety mechanics, lines and veils, tools to make sure that, that the players themselves are comfortable. Like what kind of content do you want, right? Do you want, are there certain mm -hmm. real world issues that you want to avoid or or maybe you're okay with them being in the world but you don't want to see them on camera like it's okay for that to exist mm -hmm. but i don't want us to deal with it at the table with our characters so you're setting up those very real player safety mechanics for the content of your campaign and then there are there are i think the narrative in world considerations for me uh, uh spoiler for season one of the unsleeping city the entire relationship of the dreaming world to the waking world was an element of the deep cosmology of that setting developed after Lou Wilson and Allie Beardsley told me who they wanted to be. Right. Right. Um, uh, uh, so with that, like um, that idea of, I don't think as a DM, your world should be concrete until you know who your, your heroes are. Like mm -hmm. you, like the heroes get made. If you are making a setting and you're like, this is going to be a smash and grab dungeon looting thing. And suddenly you get your four PCs and every one of them took proficiency in arcana and history. And you have like a knowledge cleric, <laughs> two wizards and like a lore bard. You go like, <laughs> yeah. this isn't, this isn't a dungeon crawl. You better go the, make up some rules to how magic works pretty fucking quick. Because <laughs> that's clearly yeah. where the interest is going. So, so to me, I think that I, I, what I love, and this is not possible for every table, but what I love is group character creation, meaning I make up, you know, 60 to 70% of what the world's going to be, you know, enough, you have to make up enough world that your players can get excited about something, right. That you can mm. make toys for them. You have, that you have something to bring to like start a conversation. 
And you put it in front of them and you say, I'm leaving the last 30 to 40% of this unmade because I, I want this to volcanic enough that your choices shape what we pay attention to. Um, yeah. They make their uh, characters. Oh, go for it. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I think that uh, something I've definitely discovered re- uh, recently that the payoffs for those moments can be so huge. Yes. Uh, like, are really allowing your players to, like, let the world pivot a little on it, you know, like having mm-hmm. a real moment. I, I've spoken about it all the time. Uh, but, like, you know, we had time travel in one of our home games. And it was like a real moment where I was going, okay, the, the world's shifted a little bit. Like, it was just like, okay, that's gone shift, shift, shift. It just moved into slightly different slots. Nothing fundamental changed, but it was like, okay, this is had like this has now had a real genuine impact on the world. My players, whether it be in one session from now or in ten sessions of the from now, are going to have a moment where they're like, oh, oh shit! Like we just we done we done change stuff here. <laughs> like this is you know yeah. there's consequences to our actions. You know uh, who'd have yeah. thunk? <laughs> who would have thunk? Um, who would have thunk? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that like. The, the final piece of that puzzle is you, the players getting to make their characters together encourages a couple things that I think are great. It's three things, right? The first thing is what I just said about it allows the DM to make the world responsive to player choices. The mm. second thing is it immediately impresses on everyone that you're not just making a character for yourself. You're making a character in constellation and coordination with these other players. So there's a, there's an impetus to look at each other and be like, Ooh, you're doing that. Let me do this. It's like, Oh, you're playing the pure hearted, innocent, naive hero that just believes. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah, I'm going to yeah, be the yeah. cynical, pull a cigarette from my mouth. Like I've seen <laughs> some shit, kid. Like yeah. you make those fun dynamics when you create yeah. together rather than creating compartmentalized. And the last thing too, is I think uh, uh, when you create that, sort of world together oh i've totally spaced and forgot it uh, uh i was gonna say you you have that you have that great player dynamic you have the dm being able to make that final decision there um and that might be it maybe i only had two i only had two there's only two uh, it, it might, maybe it'll come back maybe it'll come back you'll wake up and go officially retconning this, there were always only yeah, there two. was always only two because that's the power that you have as the dm yeah. is that this is also another thing like you yes. can if it like it's okay if you can find a way narratively to, in your mind to retcon something that no one at the table is going to actually know otherwise mm. and it's going to save you a lot of hassle and trouble and confusion just mm. do it yes <laughs> oh wait breaking bad method, I, like, yeah. you're exactly breaking right bad i'm gonna double retcon that retcon i just remembered the last thing is you connect them yes, to the plot is. the last thing is when you when you all get them together because the the i think one of the one of the issues that people sometimes have is um when you're when you're running a module or you're running something where like, a, like one of the issues I think with running modules sometimes is that because the publisher doesn't know who the heroes are going to be, they have to create an adventure that's kind of a you know come one come all whichever heroes show up to do this, those are the mm-hmm. heroes we can mm-hmm. use. Um, but I think that when you're making a home game, your advantage when you're homebrewing is you can make an adventure that only these heroes could have solved. Right. That like mm. it's like which, yeah. which is very yeah. mythological. It feels good in that way of like, you know, we we see, you know, what is it like Luke Skywalker, you know, like uh, is like oh, your dad is Darth Vader. What? And there's that intimate mm. connection that you get to create these world building ties. And if you create characters mm. together and you have that coordination, even before your first session, you get to do stuff and say like, no, 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 you're not just randos. You, it really is. The world is directly related to your relationship to it. Yes. Long winded. 
that's those are the th- reasons I think that's what you should do. Uh, when you're <laughs> uh, I agree yeah. so much with yeah. what you can. I, I just wanted no, to no, say no. I want as a as both a player and a dungeon master. Uh, I would say my most rewarding times are as a player when it feels like my character not only belongs in the world but has some kind of an influence on it. Uh, and especially that the world res- the world responds to my character, and my character is able to respond to the world, and where it's it feels alive. Mm. And also as a DM, when my players do something that I could never have predicted, oh, yeah. that actually shapes the world, and then forces me to now look at how the world changes in response to what they do. In my in the main campaign, the main home campaign that I run, we're currently on this big Feywild expedition. That the only reason we're going in the first place is because it's in one of the players' backstories that. She's an Aladrin who came over and blah, blah, blah. Third session, somebody ran off really stupidly, got killed. Somebody got cursed. People came. A guy got his brain eaten by an intellect devourer, ah! went back to the Feywild. <laughs> they're like, oh, no, we got to stop this guy from bringing the mind flayers into the Feywild. Now they're running down. And, like, I would never have been yeah. <laughs> a year and a half after <laughs> the of life that we'd be here. Uh, but now here we are. And no, almost none of those choices were mine. Yeah. Or if they were my choices, it was in response to what the players yeah. did. Yeah. And so it makes everything just feel so much more alive as both a player and a dm Mm. i completely agree with what you're saying hell yes i love that Uh, brennan i would love to um quite a nice segue because you'd mentioned actually like the whole session zero safety tools we actually discussed very recently safety tools on the show Mm -hmm. um and so uh as sort of like a a sort of a more general loose question i guess is just what is your approach generally to um safety tools making sure that everyone in the at the table feels comfortable um and then uh sort of further than that obviously the the big thing that we talk about on this show is approaching sort of diversity making sure that uh you're you know the places that you not even just at the table like but the places that you go and the things that you see and that you do uh are are varied and exciting and and thrilling and diverse because you know uh, diverse settings add to the general feel of the game if i know my opinion at least <laughs> uh hell yeah this is a, a great a great double feature question both uh, both of which are, are incredibly important um in terms of safety tools so for people that don't the, you if your listeners will know already because you guys have already discussed it but again just to hammer I home so. i feel like there might be some new listeners for this episode specifically though <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah. uh, i don't know if you know brennan like you've actually you're actually kind of like a slightly bigger than us <laughs> there might be a few new people there's no it's 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 there's no i yeah that well that's crazy to consider um uh it doesn't none of it i know it's i know that there's dimension has been around for like two years now none of it feels real and it maybe never will um i mean just, yeah we're like three months in and i'm like nah this is this life yeah is this life yeah i was i think it's just fantasy yeah uh, it's, <laughs> we are we are caught in a bit of a landslide <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so safety tools are um a series of basically uh, uh, agreements and considerations that develop rules for your table centered around player comfort with issues or content that may be triggering or uncomfortable for people based in real life trauma or other stuff like that most safety tools concern uh the handling of content at the table, which can be excessive violence or gore. It can be themes of sexual harassment or assault. It can be real world forms of bigotry, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. Um, 
uh, and setting basically setting up boundaries because these games are improvised and you don't have a script you're going off of. You want these agreements ahead of time, right? Um, mm. There, I really encourage people to talk about these because odds, especially if you're playing with strangers, like if you're playing with people you don't know or you don't know if you can trust, yeah. right? Uh, talk about it ahead of time. I know it might feel, you know, there's like standing up for yourself and advocating for your own comfort is always hard because there's always that little voice in your head going like, don't rock the boat, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but it's really worthwhile because worst case scenario, if, if you're playing with new people, you're playing with people I haven't played with before and you say, hey, I'd like to raise safety tools or, or content that we're comfortable with. Worst case scenario, people go, um, no, that sucks. And you go, phew, bullet dodged, goodbye, yeah. click. See ya. You suck is the issue. <laughs> you know, there's always, it's always that thing like, like I, I remember some like uh, a friend of the family gave me like dating advice when I was like dating for the first time. Because I was like, ha, that old, that old saw of like never bring up politics or or religion on a first date and this older family friend was new yorker was like why are you yeah. trying to buy a bigot multiple dinners and you gotta throw that because the thing is right nothing's gonna feel worse nothing's gonna sure feel no worse seals. than like 10 dates in and you suddenly go oh Oh no! That's That's a a real big problem. Yeah, we can't have we can't have children. (laughs) We can't do like we can't. This children's gonna be this child's gonna be messed up. (laughs) Percent. Um, and and one of the things as well is um, uh, you you want to bring up. So, and again, there's a lot of safety tools. I encourage people that are listening to Google them. There's there's more than we can name right here. I, lines and veils is a big one, which is basically mm-hmm. a line is a hard thing that you don't want any content related to the subject matter in the campaign. A veil is where you're like, I'm comfortable with it existing in the world. I just don't want it to be the focus of our sessions. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, there's also the X card, which is basically a way to get over that fear of speaking up on your behalf, which is just you have everyone has a little car with an x on it you're at the table we get to a subject matter or a scene's a little bit too intense person raises the x card we don't ask any questions we just end that scene we just move past whatever we're doing and that person's raised that issue again what a lot of these safety tools are really about and the reason i even encourage them at tables of people you love and trust because by the way everyone knows that even if you're playing with people you love and trust it's like almost a a cliche that like your family can be like brutal to you. Like you go home for Christmas and they're like just completely roasting you and razzing you because sometimes an abundance of love and trust means we don't treat each other well because we're like, Hey, there's love and trust here. I can like roast your ass. And I know that you can't like run away. Like you're not going to run away in this situation. (laughs) You're just going to take this, you know, (laughs) even with people you love and trust, these are good things to come up with. And, and the reason being is, um, if someone crosses a boundary or makes someone uncomfortable, f- f- even for reasons where like there are ways to do that, that make a person a clear moral outlier, like, whoa, you're a bigot. But let's be real. Yeah. It's possible to trigger somebody in a way that's totally unintentional. And that still needs yeah. to be resolved. Right. Yes. Like that, even that, that mm-hmm. just because your heart was in the right place doesn't mean that you don't need to resolve that and that we need to mm-hmm. amend and, and fix that harm. Right. So and it's uh, going to make it easier to not have that situation where that person then feels like 
counter-attacked and it just escalates and escalates. Mm. If you've already discussed it and you go, okay, cool, we've already discussed that's not, you know, we're not okay with that. That person can immediately go, okay, I'm sorry, uh, you know, it won't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like you can, you can game that out as opposed to it being this like, because it happens a lot at the moment. There's a lot of like blame culture and we want to instantly be angry at someone and like you said there are lines obviously if you know if it's straight up bigotry or whatever you're just gonna be like yeah no okay yeah you're out sorry <laughs> but, it, it, but nine times out of ten if you've been playing for a little while you know the, the, it was just a slip or it was a mistake and yeah. that allows that person to learn you know yeah. uh, and 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 grow <laughs> there's Hopefully. a there's I, I totally agree and i think what's critical too and why people might not get the importance of these things to, to use an analogy i i used to teach improv at the upright citizens brigade theater i started teaching when i was like 25 years old or something like that and had that very nervous thing of um being like a lot of my students are older than me. I don't necessarily feel like I'm a tremendous authority. And you have that bit of panic and also just be, to be honest of like learning to like, like learning consciousness around race, around sex, around discrimination of all forms. So when I first started teaching, you have that thing of like, Oh my God, what do I do if I see something racist in a scene? If someone does a joke or does a move in an improv mm. scene, how do I call that out? And the first, you know, first time or two out at bat, I would pause a scene and you kind of stumble because you're there and it's so uncomfortable. And you're like, oh, but uh, you, but, uh, you don't, uh, that's naughty, naughty, mm, naughty, please. racist. No, no. <laughs> um, and you go, bad racist, bad racist, bad, bad racist, man. <laughs> what I started doing and, and props to the school as well, because they started telling, they gave this little cheat sheet out for, for teachers of like, address this stuff in class one. I remember the first time I got my little sheet out and I saw, and the, the sheet said like, we like no, like no discriminatory scenes, et cetera. They had kind of very formal legalese language. And I remember saying that and then turning to the class in that moment and saying, guys, this is very formal. Let me be clear under no circumstances will we be seeing any scenes that use race, sex, orientation, ability, status, any of it, as the butt of the joke in a scene that will not be allowed, right? Mm -hmm. What saying that, this was like, at this point, the only people, things anyone had said in the class were their names at role, <laughs> right? What saying that stuff at the top of a class allows you to do is remove the discomfort of that moment of confrontation. Because now, not only is the person crossing an ethical and moral boundary, they are also breaking an agreement. And mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that little extra push for you as that authority figure in that space to go like, hey, man, we fucking talked about this. Like, there's no ambiguity. Yeah. There's no yeah. falling back on like, whoa, I didn't mean it in that way. It's like, hey, we were super clear. So that's, I think, why safety tools are super important, uh, because it takes a thing that could have ambiguity and makes it crystal goddamn clear, which just helps you hold people accountable in the moment. Yes, um, I completely agree. I think that's, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so yeah, I think sort of from there, it feels like a good segue into just generally, actually, I'd be interested to know, because like you said, you've been kind of bred almost into the DNA of uh, of D&D. Of &D. You've, you know, you've been a part of this world for so long. I'd be interested to know actually how you've seen the diversity, um, like how you've seen it progress in the game, if you feel like it has progressed from where you started. Um, uh, and then again, like incorporating that into your games. 
undeniably. And it's it's one of those weird things where you if you've been around in the game as long as I have, and again, I, I sound like an old timer. It's just because I started this game when I was ten. Um, <laughs> no, Brennan's in incredibly old. Like he is, you know, like a vampire. Like he just. He's got a good like skincare regime. <laughs> so it's you know it's this wild thing where it's it's uh and again this is like the philosophy major in me coming out, which is the ability to hold to to hold multiple things as being true at the same time, which is to look at Dungeons and Dragons and be like, gang, we have so much farther to go. But then to also be able to hold the other truth, which is I remember what this hobby was like when I was a kid and it was not Mm. like this, right? Um, Mm. uh, There is obviously an explosion of inclusivity and joy and welcoming um, uh, uh, both in the LGBTQ community. There are way, like when I opened the fifth edition player's handbook and saw like that the, the, the art for the human character was a black woman mm-hmm. in the mm. player's handbook for the edition mm. you go like damn that's fucking rad right yeah so there's like mm-hmm. it's like yes correct steps also please take all these huge amount of other correct steps yeah. right? yeah. uh, we'll just sit here get a magazine okay. you just crack on yeah. <laughs> um uh, and it's also true that there are, you know, it's it, it's very much. I think again, like this is the, again the philosophy major in me that there are multiple truths at the same time. There are a lot of awesome people um, within D and D pushing for more uh, uh, progressive, more inclusivity, uh, more welcoming to more various types of people, which is beautiful. I would include you guys in that number as one of the people that is pushing that conversation and making this game a more inclusive space for people. Absolutely. Um, uh, There are also people that are going out into the wider field of tabletop and being like, uh, my guys not interested in waiting. We're going to do some cool shit right now. And Mm. that's rad as hell as well. And some of those people are the same people. Like there's incredible forces within the game of Dungeons and Dragons, Tanya DePass, B Dave Walters, Mm. Christina Ariel, who are making D and D a more inclusive space and are also going like just launched into the motherlands, this incredible stream in a different system. Mm -hmm. That's an all POC in front of and behind the camera. Uh, crew that are telling this incredible Afro-futurist sci-fi story. So like the, like the game on a niche level and the space and community more largely are taking steps in the right direction. And you're just, you know, like it's incumbent on everybody, regardless of your background, to be advocating for and pushing both the hobby and the game in that direction. Um, mm. uh, and then, you know, for for... Uh, us at like dimension 20 as a show that's obviously something we champion again both in front of and behind the camera and it's something that we also uh, uh are always pushing more for um i think that like i have been very fortunate like people have had very kind things to say about dimension 20 in terms of its inclusivity i am once again very appreciative of that praise, but far more focused on the things that we need to continue to be doing to be even better than we were yesterday. Mm. Um, And Mm. any of the credit that the show gets should not go to me. It should go to 
the incredible uh, uh, people at our, again, like the incredible people at our table that are making our table more diverse and inclusive. Our amazing consultants we work with. We had Orion Black jump on uh, to a bunch of seasons of the show. They are an amazing game designer and a post supervisor on the show. Uh, uh, so you know, like I would say for people that are listening, not that there's a tremendous pe- amount of the audience that's like starting their own professional actual play games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I would say if you are, you know, yes, there are a lot of resources for white creators to understand what their responsibilities are in the space. Yes, there are a lot of, um, you know, like awesome resources like Tumblr's like Writing with Color or Medieval POC, which is an amazing Tumblr that has all of these instances of being like, hey, like Medieval Europe had a lot of POC in it. And here's all these instances mm. that you can find for. Yeah. So like those are like, <laughs> hey, man, like, fuck, you know, like, it's not it's not what <laughs> yeah. you think we didn't just come out of the ground and like the, you know when we, when we, uh, hey we, yeah. we came out of the ground now we want the vote that's we were around for a while before then <laughs> i'm in the city of york right now and in the Jorvik Viking Center, which is York used to be controlled by the Vikings, uh, they have like a little museum and i think one of the skeletons there mm-hmm. is of an african guy who somehow like made it all the way from africa all the way up to york and i think was killed by the vikings or something or lived among the vikings it- Boats are uh, a thing, so. guys. Boats are a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, yes. I don't know why they came yeah. out here. But, <laughs> 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 um, but, but yeah, so, you know, I would say, again, all, there's, there's a bunch of responsibilities that white creators have. And again, just people that are even playing this game as hobbyists that, that white people have to make their games, to make their fantasy worlds more welcoming than they have been. Right. And, and, Mm. um, you know, there's, I don't think people know that you can have good intentions and still be fucking up pretty badly unless you're putting in work. Right. Mm. Like, Mm. you know, I read the Hobbit a trillion times when I was a little kid. Oh yeah. It didn't dawn on me until I was in my goddamn twenties that there is not a single woman in that whole book. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, what's that word? And that's the problem is <laughs> is cr- creativity is fundamentally you ingest stuff, you rattle it around in your brain, reassemble it and put it back out. So even if your heart is in the right place, if you don't reckon with the fact that a lot of that shit that you ingested, even if it had mm. cool stuff in it, like I will never be able to watch the ride of the Rohirrim in Return of the King and not get misty eyed. If you can't reckon with mm. the shit that was fucked up in that world, you're going to yeah. regurgitate it in your own creative work. Right. Yeah. So you, I think white creators had the responsibility. That being said, if you are a professional organization, I think that it is that the, again, the most important diversity is again, the real human beings you're including in your work at your table mm-hmm. in your yes. organization. That's really what it comes down to. I, I completely agree. I've said it so many times on this show. The main reason that I even thought about doing this was because I was like, I remember trying to Google stuff and being like, I'm finding like maybe one or two people. But I mean, this, you know, and, and I and I know firsthand the reason I am an actor. Uh, I don't think I've actually discussed this on the show. But the reason I'm an actor is because I saw my fate. I was really into Shakespeare. Uh, I used to love reading Shakespeare. I used to love hearing it. My mom was obsessed with reading it to me when I was a kid um, just because she loved the language and she 
was doing a English degree at the time and I was I loved King Lear it was like it just fascinated me probably shouldn't have been like reading it when I was like a kid but I was um and uh, when I was in like uh like year nine which is like I think like middle school for our American listeners um I went to see a, a play of King Lear and a mixed race guy he was uh Nigerian and Scottish was playing Edmund who was my favorite character and I literally remember sitting watching this guy crush the speech uh, the, uh, um, that, uh thou art uh, thou uh, nature art my goddess and i was like i'm gonna be an actor cool 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 and literally from that day onwards i went home and was like mom so cool i'm gonna be an actor just so you know uh <laughs> and immediately she was like what the hell are you doing you're gonna watch you know like <laughs> the normal mom thing where you try and tell your mom you're gonna be an actor or whatever um uh, oh, but so yeah and that was all because of representation like i wouldn't yeah. be here today i wouldn't be talking to you i wouldn't be you know all of this stuff is because of representation it's so critically important the reason that that you know uh, uh, most white people think they can they go over and do anything they can become any uh, you know the any ceo or they can do this is because that's what they see you know they see it they think oh that's possible i can do that i can reach yeah. that dream uh, yeah a hundred percent um so yeah i think that's that is a beautiful story and i think too that like i don't know as as much as as much as i am like being interviewed here i also like am very interested in because because for me i think what you guys are doing is so special and important because exactly what you're doing is like this hobby becomes like easier and safer and more welcoming and more joyful and more inclusive because of the work that you guys are doing and because of again creating opportunities for people to be seen like in for you guys, like, like I would want to return the question to you about like the community and shows and things like that. Like, what is it that you guys are excited about in the hobby? And what's the, what are the things that you want to see as like the game moves forward and the hobby moves forward? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you too. I wasn't ready for this one. (laughs) Surprise babies. Switch it on. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to one white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, it's, uh, I'm really excited about Tasha's cauldron of everything Mm -hmm. because I mean, we talked about this, uh, on the show relatively early on, uh, about the, not just the race, I guess the the lineage of the racism that's kind of built into Western high fantasy through Tolkien stuff and then has just emerged in D&D in kind of a new form. Mm. And when you have the depictions of some of the more quote unquote monstrous races and even with orcs having like an intelligence penalty and and the way that they're described and everything um, – the um, the fact that D and that Wizards of the Coast is now going out of their way to address some of this by allowing you to choose not to include that in your game or change it in various ways and allow you a greater level of customization and also acknowledge that uh, every character is an individual and they're their own person mm. and perhaps you just happen to have uh, a an elf who's not that good looking uh, maybe <laughs> yep. your elf is just for whatever yeah. reason just not attractive yeah. Had a couple of branches uh, on the way or, down on the old ugly tree. Yeah, or they're <laughs> just a real misanthrope and just nobody likes them. And they have just low charisma and they're maybe they're just they're not dexterous for some reason. Like the, oh, these are mm. the fact that you can do that now mm. uh, and have that kind of a freedom, I think, is a big step forward yep. uh, for the game. And in many ways for fantasy in general, because of how much D, how big an aspect of the fantasy world D&D well, is. I guess um, 
what I'm kind of really excited by is just seeing more um, alternative cultures up, um, as opposed to like purely Eurocentric cultures being used as reference with like mm. that is, is just yeah. <laughs> sparking so much joy in me because then I get because one of my favorite things about the game is the fact that when when you know you're playing something that's been lovingly made or crafted or you're playing like an, or a Gardu setting, I then like to like mm. get to know about where did these inspirations come from, and I actually get to learn about real world people as mm. well in ways that I it, and mm-hmm. I want to see more things about. You know, East Asia. I want to know about Cambodia. I want to know about. Yeah. Like, tell me all I want to know things, man. This is a huge thing. I want to know about some dope people who aren't Arthur, who did not pull the sword <laughs> out. Like, honestly, honest, I am so done. I am so done with watching a film, getting halfway through and realizing, oh, this is another, this is another Sword in the Stone reference. Yeah. It's literally, it's like in every single like Hollywood movie. Yeah. It's friggin', it's either Arthur or Merlin. Merlin is in everything. everything. You can't have a wizard without. <laughs> Out there being a Merlin reference, it's so infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm with you, you Nazi. I'm so with yeah, you. Yeah, and um, and you know, death to the loot. <laughs> like I just don't yeah, want to hear another loot. Definitely, definitely. I don't want to yeah. hear another loot. <laughs> yeah, ever, ever again. Yeah. Who's the big fan of loot music out here? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, is anyone like actually? Real people, is anyone? I feel like real medieval people, if they heard our versions of medieval music, would be like, "You guys are going real heavy." On we had drums. We had other instruments, you know. <laughs> Can we get some hurdy gurdy or some some uh, shawl in here or something? <laughs> I actually think both of those. I, by the way, I'm I, I got nothing going on today, so I'm here as long as you guys want me here. Uh, oh, um, so, but I want to respond because I actually have more. I want to talk more about the both of the things that were were just said, which is like first of all, uh, uh, the to to Jeremy's point, I wanted to say like. Um, there is something very, how do I put this? Uh, 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 I, so like, I've been thinking about this for a long time, right? Because I, I, I don't know that everyone agrees with me on this. And I, and I, there, I think there's, there's, it's possible to be of good faith and good opinion and go with both. I personally don't, and kind of for a long time have never got what the deal with, uh, with races in D&D in general was. And I'm going to explain why. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The central mechanic of playing D&D is leveling up. Leveling up happens in your class. Classes are so obviously the main thing about you. Like anytime anyone's ever, I've said like, hey, what's your D&D character? And someone's been like, I'm a half elf. I know Mm. immediately that they've maybe only played one session and they don't care that much. Because clearly if you're playing over a course of a lot of sessions, 
the powers you're using and the things that you do and the things that you are are the gifts that you have, which is like your spell casting, your swordsmanship, whatever, right? So there's this incredible part of like, I, you know, it's, I had this crazy thing when I was a kid too of being a 10 year old and I wanted to be a gnome. And this is back Mm. in second edition, which was even more problematic than 5e, which is even more problematic than 3.5, you know, like, or Mm. or reverse that, right? Mm -hmm. But like uh, being a gnome and it's like, I want to be a gnome paladin. And they were like, uh, gnome paladins can only ever get to eighth level. They are not intrinsically made to be paladins. Only a human can become a 20th level paladin. And in my head as a 10 year old, it made me so deeply sad because I had this little vision for my gnome who was going to be a little, a little guy with a sword who was going to be a hero. And in my head, I was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so deeply fucked up and mean. (laughs) And then it was like, but I'm white and I'm 10 and I don't have any frame of reference for what this is. And I just like, <laughs> you know, like, did, like I, it was that, that thing of ignorance and, and just mm. having that, that area of like not being worldly enough yet to get like, oh, this is directly fucked up for racist reasons, right? Like this mm. directly connects to, the game is saying something is true about your biology that limits your ability to be what you want to be. In a game of fantasy, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, so within that, right. And I think the other thing too, what I guess what I'm advocating for is I think the game should just, if, if not totally get rid of the idea of races, leave the idea of your fant- fantastical creature dumb being an elf or a dragonborn or a whatever as something that is relevant to a campaign setting. Because what's interesting, right. Is like, if I like, like, like when I get a player's handbook, what if I don't want gnomes in my setting for whatever reason, or I don't have dragonborn mm. or whatever, like that's very setting specific. And especially with like the unsleeping city, when I want to do a fantasy modern thing for that one, I'm like, no, it's, it's all humans. It's New York. Right. Like mm. uh, with some exception mm-hmm. of like fantastical creatures that were transformed or whatever. The only thing that seems mm. to make sense to carry across settings are things like fighter or wizard, because that is more universal. Right. It's like a fighter is just mm-hmm. somebody with a weapon that makes sense yeah. kind of anywhere. Right. Mm. So for mm-hmm. me, there's always I, I, I hope D&D moves in that direction of saying this is going to be setting specific, removing the mechanical elements of them, making it more about the story and the narrative. Uh, I don't know that everyone will agree with me on that, but that's that's kind of mm. where I'm at right now of being mm. like, this is not the central mechanic of the game, nor should it be, right? The central mechanic of the game is like mm. what your gifts are, what your abilities are, yeah. which is based on your class. Um, uh, and I think that I would jump off of that because and, and kind of add to it my the thing that I'm most excited about as well is just that for me, freedom is always at the heart of why I love D&D mm-hmm. is that I have always spent my life in my brain, like in my little uh, uh, sort of mind palace, imagining all of these fantastical things and yeah. really, really wanting them to be uh, and like trying to imagine the purest version of this fantasy place that I've ever imagined. And so therefore the thing that excites me is the let the, the fewest boundaries that thing that can be in my way to get to that point is the thing that excites me the most. Um, And I think to what you're saying about realizing that it doesn't have to be the case that just because 
uh, in this particular set, like set of rules, uh, that especially you as the DM can't say, no, that's not how it goes down in my world because this is how I want it to, this is how I want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it just feels counterintuitive to the nature yeah. of D for me. You know, it feels yeah. like that isn't not, that isn't the reason we did it. We did it because we, you know, I always wanted to rewrite Lord of the Rings. Like that was my, you know, I was always like, nah, I want this to happen, this to be a thing. And so if I run a Lord of the Rings campaign setting, then I can make that happen. And I don't have to abide by the fact that J.R.R. Tolkien had all these preconceived notions. So I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of this stuff and that's, that's okay. And that's kind of what you're exactly right. That's where I want us to get with, with D and D. I always, one of the big things, I, I always imagine species. I'm always thinking up like new species Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I'm always like, oh, it'd be so cool if you have an army of things that look like this and work like this and operate like this, and and how much diff- more difficult they would be to defeat than other things. And it just gets really, really, really boring. Then when you, you know you got to go, oh, but mechanically that's not going to work. Oh, that's always the thing that's put me off about world building. You know, is like, oh, mechanically, I'm never going to make that. In work. my and again, <laughs> this is like a very half formed thought. I totally agree. My my half formed thought about it is there is like. I, I I love fantasy settings that have a diversity of species and elves and dwarves and orcs and all that cool mm. shit. But I just think that that decoupling them from mechanics, right? Like I'm trying. This is like a very half. This is like we're now designing a game mechanic. But the, there's an element. <laughs> hey, of like, it's coming. Three black halflings and Brennan Lee Mulligan. <laughs> uh, new campaign setting. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get in time for Christmas. It's gonna be great. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> but there is that element of, of like I would love to see something where like because i think that the thing that's going to remain is that okay like whatever whoever you are playing occasionally you do want to play someone that's like no i'm a really inhuman type of creature i'm a centaur i'm an aarakocra i have wings i have four Mm. legs that shit is cool right and and you should be able to depict a set of abilities around being a fantastical creature i'm a pixie Mm. i can turn invisible right um Mm -hmm. but i think that there's no reason not to just have that be a la carte like the problem is the prescriptivism the problem is this is what an orc is flat Mm. out right Mm. yeah having like an a la carte thing of like here's a bunch of abilities like let's just take flight as an ability right and if that's a la carte Great. I want to be a bird person. I take the flight ability. I have wings. I'm a bird. And what's nice about making it a la carte is let's say I want to be a human who takes the flight ability because I fell into a big potion vat when I was a kid. And now (laughs) I fucking Peter Pan my ass all over the place. And that's what I want to do. Or let's say that I want to be an Aarakocra who is like a tragic hero, who is like a, a war veteran who had a terrible injury in one of his pinion feathers and is still mm. an Aarakocra, but mm. now I can't fly. Why can't mm. I tell that story? Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. what, like I think that's the whole thing is just, is, is D cup. Like we want lots of diversity and beautiful species and fantastical creatures in our fantasy worlds. And we mm. want cool abilities. I just think it's about not being prescriptive. It's about not yes. always coupling them together. And the thing is, we talk about this on the show all the time. Balancing your game is so, it's so easy to rebalance your game. So yeah. if you design this world where you, you like, you know, you mentioned there, uncoupling the sort of species from things and you get two sessions in and one particular person is just like cane in it. Every time they just got mad damage output and they're, you know, they're flying around and they've got more movement than everyone else and whatever. You can bring everyone else up to their level with a couple of items here and there and 
whatever. And you've not broken the world. You've not lessened anyone's fun. But everyone is getting that level of authority on the experience. And they're playing through the version of the, the thing that they really want. And they're not being held back by, oh, no, 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 no. You are, you're an air genasi, so you can't have any domain over fire because yeah, do you know what i mean exactly. like why can't you have a an all elements genasi or do you know like th- th- things like that that you yeah. avatar genasi yes. yeah an avatar genasi that was that yeah that was the I word i was looking for fully fully agree um i also wanted to i'm having so much fun in this conversation with you <laughs> i'm so this is awesome i'm you guys so are glad so fucking it. cool i really am so <laughs> so delighted to be here and uh i want to go back to, to what nadi was talking about which is like i think so goddamn cool lou was talking to me about wagadu and the chronicles you guys are doing yes you guys yes if, if you are if you're listening to this this episode because i'm in it and you're, you're finding three black happens for the first time Go check out the Wagadu Chronicles. It's so goddamn cool. Yep. Uh, go check out these guys' actual play. Um, uh, please, please, please. It's so, I've seen the character art for the PCs you guys play. God, it's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's something I wanted to tell a story about, which was before Dimension 20, when I was working as a question writer on Um Actually, which was I developed mm. this shiny question from Actually called uh, crypt- Crypto Geography, which was like, creatures from myth and legend and putting them on a map right so we had a world map and we had little mm. cutout magnets and the people playing it's like take the monster with its little picture and its little, its little drawing and its little name put it on the right place right and of course immediately what mm. i find is like look at the incredible eurocentrism in the monsters we talk about mm-hmm. in our fiction we got mm. fucking 20 monsters for, i keep cursing on the podcast am i bad am i doing nah, it's absolutely fine. Fine. Okay. you're all good you're all good uh, <laughs> i'm actually i'm actually in in the future i'm now sitting here bleeping <laughs> please I'm so tired i need to go to bed <laughs> so we, no, no, welcome no. to three fucking <laughs> so like you know you peruse the monster manual you're gonna find 20 monsters from greece alone you're gonna find another yeah. you know uh, uh elves and dwarves are both scandinavian root and they're the two biggest you know fantasy races that we inherited from tolkien right mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. so there's this incredible eurocentric weight on our fantasy and when I started- even to jump in then it's like even the way we depict dragons like they yeah. are always eurocentric versions of dragons they are oh, like they are uh, the they are the <laughs> yeah. yeah we do not ne- we never get yeah. the sort of the the long uh you know your sort of long chinese dragon we don't get any other version mm-hmm. of dragon other yes. and they're they and yeah. they are they feature in nearly they're every like culture every culture yeah because, yeah. because we've always had snakes as predators and they that's where we get the... I can, I can so, go into the whole thing. You carry no, on. Fully. It's so goddamn cool. So what ended up happening with this cryptogeography thing is I started researching because I was like, oh, this isn't going to be any fun at all. We got to go get some monsters from other cultures just to fill this map out. And I started researching... All, you know, and it's like you get a couple like the Rakshasa from India or and then you start looking mm-hmm. at all this stuff. Like I started researching African monster folklore and you find like, what the fuck? This is so goddamn rad. There's like <laughs> a vampire demon man who seduces women and then reveals that on the back of his head, there's a second hyena head on his head. <laughs> yeah. It's so Fucking cool! <laughs> Hyena Voldemort. Hyena yeah, it's Voldemort. Voldemort. Uh, the Kishi, right? It's like you're like that's so dope. Like Ninky Nanka, like big river dragon. The Odds Man. 
the 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 in Wagadu there is this, these freaky fucking uh, long leg like stilt men with veils over their face, and I keep oh. describing it. The best thing is it basically it's African Slenderman, and it is fucking terrifying. <laughs> like I still like I still see that crap in my dreams of them like just chasing after me in a swamp. Like it's horrendous. <laughs> I love it so goddamn much. And I'm going to do, I'm going to pull a switcheroo and I want to ask you guys a question again, just because I'm curious and interested. And I think that this is like the best timeline future going forward because it seems like, okay, you have a wait for many, many decades from the publishing of Lord of the Rings of like fantasy being very dominated by this Eurocentric myth. Right. And then Mm -hmm. we see this, this struggle within the gaming space uh, with the kind of, you know, D&D being the torchbearer for that middle earthy kind of world to make settings more inclusive, to make them less Eurocentric, and to have this thing of still worlds that are defined by this Tolkien-esque legacy, but now mm. we are inviting people in, right? Even medieval POC that I shouted out in the back is doing incredibly inclusive work, but it's still this work of including POC within a European centric mm-hmm. cosmology. Sure. Yeah, you sure. guys doing the Wagadu Chronicles into the motherlands doing this awesome Afrofuturist thing is pushing this thing of like non-European fantasies, non-European mythologies, non-European visions of the future and of the mythic past. And it's so goddamn rad. Mm-hmm. So like, mm. uh, uh, what do you like, like just to envision a beautiful world, what do you guys see as being the future of stories like that? Do, what do you guys see mm. as being ways to encourage POC to tell those stories? And maybe even for me who like saw Wagadu and like, like Unati was saying, it's so damn cool. Like, let's say that Lou ran a Wagadu Chronicle and I was lucky enough to get invited to play that. Like, what do you see as being like, the best practices or the things you would advise like as the table flips and these fantasy worlds start getting their stories told for people uh, both white or non-black POC in the case of like Wagadu coming into a space and being like, come in and now play a, play an imagination in our world. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I run, um, I've started just sort of testing in fact, I with my friends just based on Shaka Zulu and Zuligazi during the crashing. Um, and I've and I run that with a group of South African friends of mine and some friends in the UK on Zoom. And, and if you want reference, uh, Unati run uh, ran uh, like sort of a forty minute sort of Cliff Notes version for me and Jeremy. It's available as well as a previous episode. If you want to go and find out what she's talking about, hell yeah. <laughs> um, and I have white players, and two of them play people of color because they wanted to play people who came from the region. So um, Shari plays a young woman from Limpopo, and um, uh, Kyle plays a young woman from Lesotho. Um, and those people would be black. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. And to be like, oh, if for the purposes of the game, you can also be white and from Lesotho in 1871 just makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. so um, we had to have, I had a session zero with everybody and just had an honest kind of conversation with them, sort of just going, okay, well, there are going to be some tenants here and they are um, respect the table um, never make the fact that you are brown or or, or a, a, a non-person of color playing somebody as a person of color a butt of any joke at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just play your character as a person with all of the, you know, um, uh, uh, millions of combinations of things that they could possibly think, feel, or do, and don't mm-hmm. try to worry about playing black. There's no such thing. There is no way to be black. 
yeah. you are just there is no way yeah. to be Asian. You're just a person. Mm. Like, yeah. like yeah. do you know what I mean? And you just do stuff like other people do. So I think that yeah. I think um initially like people were like unsure of whether they could ask to mm. to do that. But I think um for like DMs or whatever, people like wanting to bring people into into sort of um non-European um fantasy settings, just give them permission. Like that's it. It's yeah. it's fine. Yeah. You're not being yeah. a racist because you want to play in an African setting. You are being a yeah. racist 100%. when you are being a racist. Yeah. And 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 to jump onto that, it's it's about normalizing it, right? Mm-hmm. It's about uh, us getting to a point where um uh, we see shows like uh Into the Motherland um as we see, you know, uh, critical role. Uh it's it, it's not rev- like I've always said this uh, i think i said this on another show i kind of feel like three black halflings feels like batman i feel like we are like batman we will be we will be here only until gotham no longer needs us. do you know what i mean and at, wh- at which point because honestly because at the point where our show is not amazing fantastical or whatever you know sure people can join us because they like the chat and they think we're funny and whatever but i don't want to i don't want us to be revolutionary i don't want us to be doing something new and exciting and whatever i want us to just be like a run of the mill you know dnd discussion show dnd uh, actual play show whatever it is and then people come along for the ride because they you know for for all the reasons that some that people have said and that's not to say that i'm I'm upset or whatever that we've had any success. Of course not. That's just me saying like normalizing this stuff, allowing this stuff to just be a part of the community without having to question it, without having to uh, draw attention to it, without it having to be a uh, uh, something that we're is consciously sort of in the back of people's heads. It's just another show. Mm-hmm. Um, then mm-hmm. I feel like we're at a three point. average half. Yeah, three <laughs> average halflings. We will, in fact, that, at the at the very moment that this uh, this future happens, we'll change the name. <laughs> can, we just, can we just acknowledge? Can we just acknowledge as a group of people that Jeremy has absolutely slam dunked on three podcast name jokes in a row? Yeah. <laughs> Dude does not miss. Every single no. one has been a slam no. dunk. Yeah. No. Absolutely not. Uh, he. Thank yeah. You. Uh, I was I was, try- I was trying to think of a callback uh, to the last dance. I didn't. You see, there we go. That was a miss. That was a miss. I was I was, it was right there on the tip of my tongue, um, but it wasn't coming out. Oh God! Um, so good. So good. I have things to add yeah. uh, to this conversation. Um, I first of all, I completely agree with both uh, with everything that both uh, Unati and Jasper were saying, and I think that in terms of the structure of the game and games in general and really just industries in general the first step that really has to be taken is that there need to be more opportunities for people uh, of diverse backgrounds to be able to create in those spaces Mm -hmm. um we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't specifically a genre that was dominated by white men for like a hundred years um it it's if there were more, the more diversity you have in the creation, the more diversity you're going to have in the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in terms of just the average person playing, I think it's good to recognize that you're playing something that's from a very limited background, uh, at least culturally, and try to draw specifically from those cultures. Like, for instance, in my game for the Feywild, I'm looking at what they have for the Fey, like the, the official D&D stuff where they're going into the Feywild, and I'm like... Okay, well, this is cool. I like this stuff, but 
I feel like we're leaving a whole lot of stuff on the table because Europe is not the only place that has folklore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we can draw, we can start pulling stuff from all over. And uh, actually, I actually, I had asked Unati about it a while ago for some uh, like South, Southern African monsters and various folkloric creatures that I could uh, include. And a friend gave me like this long list of cryptozoology creatures and where they originate from and everything. So it's about like trying to include myths and stuff from different cultures and just put them in my game take stuff that pre that already exists in the the lore of the setting and then maybe just reskin it yeah. um i think one time i did like a one shot and i reskinned the displacer beast to be the the kumiho nine-tailed fox Ooh, from korea because uh, it already has yeah. it already has all those tails yeah. just let it transform yeah. and now you congratulations now we have diversity um, i've won diversity everyone yeah, i've won diversity uh i reskinned um the kalashtar to be like i i kind of made them more of an inuit based culture mm. so i'm drawing a lot of, from mm. like inuit culture and mythology and folklore uh to try and develop them i think it's just a on that level it's about the dm doing work but also if you're a player who recognizes Mm -hmm. that there's not a whole lot of diversity i think it's a great idea to go out and try and research some of those other cultures and backgrounds so that you can maybe make a character who comes from a background like that and i would like to echo what unati said and say just don't play them stereotypically yeah because yes those people may have different cultures and maybe beliefs but at their core they are still people uh Mm -hmm. so as long as the core of the person is this is a person who has feelings and thoughts and experiences not that this is a person who comes from a culture where they wear rings through their noses or something. I don't know. It's like, okay, yeah, but like, anyone can wear a ring through their nose. Yeah. That's not their defining <laughs> so, feature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, newsflash. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's everything uh, that, they wear. There's nothing else. <laughs> if, if your septum ring is what defines you as a person, you have much bigger problems. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I would say. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um... Well, Brennan, since you're interviewing us, so do you have any other? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just I, like I'm very. Gr- I just like I hope you guys know I'm very grateful to be like invited on the podcast and to just like be in this space. And it's something I care a lot about. It's it's it is actually very important for me because like this is I don't know that we're gonna like call each other next week and hang out again. And I think these things are so important. It's it is very meaningful mm. for me to hear you guys talk about this because mm. it's something that everyone needs to be focusing on i don't know this is this is anecdotal but like <laughs> i think that there is like there's there's all these battles going on at the same time again philosophy major multiple things being true at the same time which is like like there's incredible work to be done in like making these spaces that have maybe been historically eurocentric open to people of color and be like no invite in see yourself in this world yes like uh, like Jasper, like rewrite Lord of the Rings, black elves in Middle Earth, Rivendell <laughs> yes. is just black as hell. Like, let's see that. But then also it's like, yeah, also I do want to see non-Eurocentric places. And I want to see these like, uh, again, like things like Into the Motherlands and your guys' chronicles. Like, it's really important to see those as well. The the anecdotal thing is this, you know, like, I think that there are even a lot of well-meaning white people. Certainly, I don't, I don't need, I don't need to, to uh, hypothesize. I know that there are who, <laughs> uh, uh, who have this attitude around like, 
that the way to, the the way to be racially positive or to be politically correct is to kind of have this like hands off approach. I remember having this like um, this improv class where. I was teaching an improv class, had that thing at the beginning where I said, we're not going to do any racist stuff. We're not going to do any sexist stuff. We're not going to do anything homophobic, transphobic, et cetera. Hmm. And there was a young black woman in the class who, it was a thing we were teaching how to initiate improv scenes off of monologues, right? Uh, this young black woman steps out, tells this really hysterical story. She goes like, uh, and she's this awesome actress, by the way. She works in Broadway. She comes out and goes like, uh, but when I was working as a nanny, I was, you know, babysitting these two little white boys up on the Upper East Side. Their names were like Easton and Preston, like very oh, wow. <laughs> mashed potatoes. Wow. <laughs> Mm. Easton and Preston, come get your mashed potatoes. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, she tells the story where she's like, uh, she's like, the first week I started working with them, um, first week I started working with them, uh, I got these yellow suede pants that were my life. I loved them. They were, they fit me so well. And I just happened to wear them every day that I was working with these kids. Um, and at the end of the week, the littlest one, this little six-year-old white kid goes, do all black people have yellow legs? And tells this, this story about <laughs> see, and she told it being like, this is a cute story about a little kid mm. t- telling this like funny thing. She tells the monologue, goes to the back line of the, of the class and, uh, no one steps out. All these other white people on the back line are just frozen. And I go like, <laughs> and I go like, hey, hey guys, like, does no one have an idea for a scene to do off of the story? And this sort of, uh, you know, middle-aged white woman sort of raises her hand and goes like, um, we were told at the beginning of the class not to do anything pertaining to race or to be racist or god i'm having a panic attack like just <laughs> has this moment down. you can see that she's just like melting down and i and i sort of went like well there's nothing racist within that story that just got told it, she's like well it's just like i don't necessarily want to be offensive in any of the things uh, you know i like i don't want to do like racial yeah. comedy mm-hmm. and i go like okay okay i understand and uh this woman who who again had this uh, uh her uh incredible statement she made afterwards because I everyone went and sat down and we talked about why people froze up in that moment and someone mm. was like I just want to want to really avoid doing racial comedy and the woman said I think what was the funniest thing she could have said at that moment she's like well if we're learning how to initiate from monologues about our personal experiences I hate to tell you guys all my stories are going to prominently feature a black person Right, like, so you know, we gotta figure some way for you guys to get comfortable. And I think that, so to me, I know it's very anecdotal, but that relates back to something like, like Unati, like your, your. This always happens, don't we? We, we? we always get to a point where one of us can't stop laughing. I know she put it so softly, but it was like, guys, wake up, like. <laughs> you know, uh, like, have you? Yeah. Can you see me? Yeah. Can you? Are you? Are you aware of the situation? When I happening? tell you a funny story, it's not inherently racial comedy. You know, like, um, yeah. So, 
but it's that. But I think that there is that that thing that that hopefully, as your show and Into the Motherlands and other shows are successful, and we see storylines being developed in non Eurocentric settings, that I hope like white people and white players and white hobbyists overcome that panic overcome that mm. panic of like mm-hmm. well <laughs> i would never want to play a <laughs> yeah. you know like mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. uh because these stories mm-hmm. and worlds should be supported and i hope that people like and uh, and I, I think just we have to normalize we have to normalize mistakes we have to normalize the just being okay to say um you know uh, okay i messed that one up and it's not it's not a huge deal i i spoke very recently with everything that happened in the world over the summer I spoke very openly recently because I felt like I really needed to about the fact that I identified all of a sudden in this moment, I was having these conversations with some of my, uh, um, my, uh, black friends about how I have fed into really unhelpful stereotypes and narratives, because that's where I felt comfortable fitting in with a lot of my white mm-hmm. friends. And now I realized looking back, I was like really not the ally that I needed to be with some of my black friends. Do you know what I mean? Who were getting what I was getting even worse. But I was choosing to join in because that was my safe space and I was fucking terrified and I didn't want to get picked on. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not th- the most black person so I can hide behind this veil. And I was terrified. And I, and then as an adult, I've been terrified to then make that mistake again or to to ever put myself in a situation where that might happen. But as soon as I acknowledged that, oh, man, I just I was like, oh, the, the breath I let out. I was like, ah, oh, Jesus, OK, I'm black and fine. Like, I can admit that to myself. <laughs> I'm still black. Like, it, 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 it didn't it didn't it, like it didn't just wash away. I was like, OK, fine. I'm here. It's fine. And then from that point onwards i'm okay and i've suddenly that was what gave me the confidence to start the show because i was like i feel confident enough to speak now in a public space in that i can speak about my experiences without being terrified shitless of saying the wrong thing because i know eventually i'll say the wrong thing and i will hold my hands up and i will apologize i will rectify it and i will take the time to understand why that was the wrong thing yeah. And I think that is a huge yeah. part about it. Yeah. That you've got to take the time yeah. to acknowledge. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think for me, actually, in terms of doing actual play with the Wagadu setting, my biggest fear has been accidentally saying something that would be either insensitive as an American, I'm a black American, but I'm not an African. Mm. Uh, and I'm drawing from, I mean, this, this setting is drawing from a culture that though I may descend from it, my connection to it is not direct. Yes. Like it's, it's a very, it's hundreds of years removed. Yeah. So I don't, I just don't have the frame of reference. It's not the internal language that I speak in the same way as, I, my, with my experiences with European culture and folklore and so on and so forth. So there's a huge fear of like me doing an accent or saying something that perpetuates some kind of a stereotype. And it's like this, I have to kind of like push it away. Hmm. It's like this uh, big old eagle that's yeah. just like, <laughs> like crouching over my shoulder, yeah. glaring at that's me the whole like time. just like so much pressure uh, on you, man. Like, and it's, here's the thing too, is like, it's, it's such an unfair type of pressure. Like, 
I was raised in a household with like all the Irish Celtic myths. I celebrated Beltane and Samhain festivals every year, like spring and fall wow. festivals. That's like deep lore. That's my, deep, deep lore. lore. Stuff. My, <laughs> mom, <laughs> my mom took like Irish right Gaelic lessons. And like, you know, I've been raised on Druid and like I, I wrote a thesis in college on how the Catholic Church took Irish Celtic pagan mythology and turned it into fairy folklore. The other week, I mm. fucked up the name of like Ireland's greatest hero in Irish Gaelic. Like, just totally fine. It's like, oops, I was completely raised <laughs> in this and didn't know it and I fucked it up. And there's not a peep because the stakes are nowhere. And so it's like, it's hearing mm. you talk about the stress of that. It's like, I think that, that that's such an important message that you're saying because, like, look, like, the, the pressure you feel to like get this representation exactly right. And like, you know, it's, mm. it's an unfair type of pressure. Right. And it only exists because of the situation that we're in, right? If we're in a more balanced mm -hmm. and fair world that the, we don't have this pressure yeah. to get Wagadu Chronicles, right? Because if we get it wrong, mm -hmm. people are going to go, Oh, well all POC streams don't work. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause like, that's the, yeah. That, yeah. that like, you know, that I think genuinely yeah. there's times where like, I'll be sitting here and having mild, a mild panic attack. Cause I'm, trying to work out how to run a fucking show uh, whilst, you know what I mean, all three of us are just like, I don't, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. And there is that kind of pressure, but it's purely, it is purely, like you said there, it's the stakes aren't there. The stakes really, they aren't really there. We're putting them on ourselves because of the situation mm -hmm. that we're in. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think, I think for me also, because I, I didn't grow up with as, I grew up in, I'm from Cincinnati, actually. Oh, yeah. um and uh i grew up in a predominantly white environment mm. um i mean my parents are black but my mom is jamaican then became she became a british citizen part of the windrush generation my dad uh grew up mostly surrounded by black people but he's a doctor so he also has to walk in white circles a lot mm. so he code switches the church that i grew up in predominantly white the school that i went to predominantly white so i didn't really have a real strong awareness of myself as a black person being distinct from white people until I was probably a teenager and started to notice yes. certain subtle differences in how certain people were treated. I remember this was crazy. This was the first time that I really went like, I was at a prayer conference where my mom was the speaker and I was walking through the lobby of the hotel just casually. And I passed by these two white ladies and they both like glared at me and just clutched their purses. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I'm, and it was the first, I was just really confused. Like, did I do something? I, and my my parents were like, "Nah, they're just racist." It's like these these women are these women are literally here to see my mother, and, and and they cannot handle me walking within ten feet of them in a brightly lit, crowded uh, hotel auditorium. And I think for me, it's been a process of uh, becoming more aware of how I as a black person fit into white societies, even without me realizing it. Mm. Uh, and also kind of getting in touch with some aspect of my, uh, of the culture that I, black culture that I wasn't necessarily as connected to. I was very connected to black history, but not as much black present. Mm. Uh, and so being, I think on this show and being able to just and it, I, honestly, I don't even think it occurred to me how much representation mattered until I saw Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which not the greatest movie, mm. it was a good movie, mm. but it, 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 well, I, I I think it's okay. But I saw John Boyega light up that lightsaber, 
and I got like the the most unexpected rush yeah. of just like <gasps> like I'd been I've been a fan of Star Wars since I was six years old. Yeah, but I had never I had never feel like. Yeah, it just, it was just the world opened. Uh, and I, it was like I went into, it was like I hit warp, uh, light speed, like went into hyperspace, just like, oh, shit. And, and I think, uh, it, I mean, even for me, I think it was pivotal just as I was getting into D&D, I saw Dimension 20 to see Lou on there was like a whoa okay okay so we are in this Ooh, cool <laughs> yeah. and then uh you bringing i mean the fact that arthur eggfort was black right away was just like yeah, yeah. and i actually figured i actually realized it at the same time lou did in the show because i was like <laughs> i i didn't note it like I, I you mentioned that he has dark skin but it just didn't register in my head and then when he shows back up at the end of the season i'm like oh shit what I know we even whoa we even had his character art up, but I just realized the pa- the power of Eurocent. That's on me. The power of Eurocentrism is so strong that even saying dark skin, I I should have been like more more clear. Like this is a black guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you say dark know, skin, I'm thinking Greek. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna you say know, Italian. Yeah. Flavor, I'm gonna say dark like, skin, and, and then I'm gonna say wizard, and you're gonna think Gandalf, and it's all gonna be fucked up. So it's yeah. like you know. Um, yeah. I mean, hell, it's that but entrenched. If very... you said dark skin and Gandalf, I'd have gone Radagast the Brown. Like, that's like, honestly, yeah. God, like, it's that entrenched. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Southern European. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Cool, 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 cool. That's cool. exactly, yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's been very special for me to not only, hopefully, for some people, be an example of somebody who's in the game, who's also a person of color, who they can look up to, but also just get to get more in touch with myself and kind of present myself as a black person. We were, um, you were talking about, Brennan, the importance of, I guess, well, the asking questions and stuff. And I actually had to have conversations with some of my uh, white friends earlier this year because, and I think this is somewhat controversial for some people because I think a lot of people, basically what I was saying was, you, we are good friends and you guys are going to all of these Black Lives Matter protests and thank you for that. Mm. However... I am, in many cases, your only black friend possibly that you've ever had, Mm. and you have never once spoken to me about my black life. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, you, it's, I mean, those black lives matter, but apparently this aspect of my black life does not matter to you. Mm. And I go out of my way to ask you guys questions about the things that I understand that you guys are different, like your differences that I do not share. So, because I want to show, I want to show respect that that's an aspect of you. I know for some people, it's uncomfortable because they're like oh i don't want to try and make this person speak for their whole race or i don't want to try and emphasize that aspect but i think i want to encourage people i think as long as you approach it with it in a respectful manner mm-hmm. uh in a way that treats the person as a person and asks them about their experiences i think as i think most people are going to have a positive reaction and i think what we're, even what you're talking about jasper with the with the um the the need to be able to make mistakes yeah. i think what is important to recognize is that the the thing that really matters is respect Mm. it's not about getting it right it's about respect you need to go out of your way to try and show respect to people now you may you are inevitably going to make mistakes along the way but then those other people need to respect the fact that you are trying to show them respect and they can correct you and then you need to show respect to their correction and then make the necessary adjustments and whatever are necessary apologies are being made but it it's really about (laughs) respecting each other yeah yeah that is that is i mean that's it man right that's yeah. the whole thing. It's, that's the whole game. Uh, that's the whole game. The, the uh, it it really is. Mm-hmm. It's like the. I mean, that's a very. I think Jasper. Like, uh, sorry. I think like 
Jeremy, that is so fucking profound. It's like, it's a big mistake that happened a long time ago of this, like this, this older mentality that hopefully is fading away from white people as much as it can, which was this idea of you confront a whole segment of society that is deeply overtly racist and wants the continue continuation of white supremacy, continuation of oppression. And the response to that is like, no, guys, you can't be racist because we don't see color and there's no such thing as race and there's no anything like that. And the way to be a... I've had those friends. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like this idea that like the way to be a good white person is to be cordial to people of color and never, ever, ever talk about race. And that's mm. so warped and... If you don't see race, you don't see me. Simple as that. Yeah. Like that's that's mm. the way I feel about it. Like you don't see me and who I am and all the things that make up who I am. Yeah. Uh, and I and I and, and I recipro- and I I see race because like I want to celebrate all that you are. Yeah. Everything that makes you up, you know? And and I think that's mm-hmm. so huge for white people. White people need to understand you've got so much going on as well. You're, it's, the you're sun, not just dude, you burn in the sun. It's adorable. <laughs> 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 Where's my ex card? Where's my ex card that I can raise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very triggering. Yeah, you're saying this to a man of Irish descent. What is wrong with you? The insensitivity. Brennan just leaves the call, and we just have to. (laughs) The skin peels off, and he leaves. It was very funny. Over quarantine, over quarantine, me, me, and my partner Izzy watched a lot of Survivor, and I was saying, and is, and I, and I like got very into the theory of the game, and Izzy was like, would you ever go? And I was like, oh, if they ever do Survivor the Arctic Circle, I'm there, baby. <laughs> like, but barring that. Sun? No, 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 no. We can't be, we can't be out in the sun. We can't be in the same room together. It's a whole thing. Uh, we tried to sort out our differences, but... Um... The sun knows what it is. Yeah, the, exactly, the sun knows. Um, and until the sun comes to me with the apology, it's yeah. not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> I love the passive aggressive sun in this. Uh, this yeah. sun <laughs> just sitting there, arms folded. Yeah. 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 yeah, I forget when it was that I realized that I just instinctively walking down the street gravitate towards patches of shadow, even like street lamps and posts, just like constantly like a vampire. I have a fantastic image of you literally doing some cartoon flips in the street, going from one lamppost to another. Like I remember to just... having to explain to people when, like, if I'm walking out. It'd be like the, I'll like going across a crosswalk, and they're like, "Isn't our place up on the right?" And I'll be like, "Yes, but if you'll notice, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and the buildings on this side of the street are casting a lovely shadow." Do you know I've experienced this? I've experienced this uh, once in my life because I like I don't really burn. Uh, it has to be very, very hot for me to burn. However, I went to Australia in a heat wave, and holy shit, guys! It was like it was like putting your hand out in the sun was like actively putting your hand into an oven. And you were like, whoa. Australia does not. It does not fuck around. Seriously, it was like you'd look at a high street and you'd think it was abandoned in the middle of the day because there was no one there. And actually, you just look into the shadows and it's literally like. What's the Will Smith zombie movie? Uh, 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 um, <laughs> uh, I am legend. I am legend. It's literally like I am legend because you look into like shop windows and in the shadows, and there's just hordes of people stood shoulder to shoulder, shuffling around <laughs> because it's just ridiculous. It's so hot. It's right. so hot. It's so hot. Um, Brennan, I really honestly feel like we could talk to you for 
forever forever because this has been such an incredible conversation and i really thank you um and i really thank you for engaging and sort of asking back as well because i think this it's really nice to feel like it's a it's a real conversation and yeah so phenomenal thank you for the, for this Listen, um the honor is truly all mine and it, I, I i don't know it's it's really delightful to be here i think i'm like such a big fan of you guys and again like you're do the work you are doing is so goddamn important in this space and it's just an honor to be here and i can't wait to share the show it's like i'm i i'm really really honored and delighted to be here thank so. you and 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 for record as well this definitely doesn't feel like work for us i think we are i think that's the that's been the beauty of this thing yeah. is that we are just free, three friends who just genuinely love shooting the shit and talking about stuff and you know maybe just putting the world to rights a little bit and and some, for some reason people listen to us i don't know why <laughs> um brendan before you go however i realize we've spoken for so long it is a tradition which it would be so wrong of us to not include this for you of all people we Ooh. always have a thing we call tales from the table which is where we ask our guests what is a crazy ridiculous just sort of beyond expectations moment that has happened to you at a table uh this can be a home game this can be a d20 moment uh, maybe a, maybe a home game would be cool just because you know people it's, it's see d20 everyone can see that um but it'd be just some totally ridiculous thing uh, usually the more ridiculous the better uh, i would love for you to share that with with our with our halflings oh my goodness okay a totally ridiculous moment from the table um uh i think i think i'm going to go okay i'm going to talk about the best home game nat 20 i ever saw mm, okay so the best home game mm, i'm nat excited 20 I ever saw. uh Home game I've been running for uh, eleven years now. Um, wow! W- one one campaign. One campaign. One set of characters. Their nineteenth level, three point five edition. Um, we have a series of sessions in which um, one of the player characters has a character who is uh, this uh, heroic paladin, sky knight, griffin rider character. Uh, who is captured by the Imperial Army. This is the big bad in this setting is a a giant continent-spanning empire of sky cities, of like cloud cities, basically. Um, Mm. And uh, gets captured. The heroes don't know where they've gone. Uh, uh, The other PCs uh, uh, go to uh, to rescue them, rescue them. But one of the things that they unfortunately neglect to do is they know that the that this empire has powerful alchemists working for them that can polymorph people. So they rescue their companion, actually oh. a member of the diplomatic corps of the, the royal diplomatic corps spy, oh. and Whoa. I enlist the other PC to play the spy version of themselves to allay suspicion. So the PC is playing the polymorph double agent now. They go home, and part of what happened was uh, the, the 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 spy was playing themselves as very sick and weak because the spy in real life is only second level and can't do a quarter of the miraculous things that the normal PC can do. <laughs> so they know that they have to have some reason to not whatever. Cool. So PCs get the person back, reveal all of their rebellion's biggest secrets <gasps> to the spy. They leave 
leaving their companion to go on some side quest completely against everything I could have anticipated or expected because another one of their biggest enemies is coming to their rebel base to try and kill them. And suddenly they just go, we're going to dip and go take care of this thing that we never in a million years would Brennan have anticipated we were going to take care of. And I go, what? <laughs> so um, what ends up happening is this. They bounce. Powerful secondary tier bad guy shows up, attacks the base without the heroes. And I suddenly realize this is a different faction of bad guys from the other bad guys. They find the heroic paladin bedridden who they don't know is really a spy and they killed that person so um but in, but in other words what ends up happening is the all my pcs think their good buddy is dead not realize and defeat the other bad guy so they think the worst has happened when they don't realize the best has happened <laughs> yeah literally. and they don't realize that for a year of real time right they Ooh. think because i stay with my pc that i'm in cahoots with and go we can't what up what do we i they the other characters wouldn't know <laughs> you're dead they not wouldn't come know. rescue you because they <laughs> like, don't know that your guy is still captured they don't know that the real oh, you shit. is... So in any, in any case, they think I'm the biggest asshole. It really did kind of strain some friendships because they were like, why did you kill him? Ooh. Like, it was one of those things where... And I'm like, you guys don't know. The, you guys don't know. So a year of real time goes on. And I, by the way, uh, to, to my if any of my player characters in the campaign are listening, I was wrong. It was too much of a trick. We should have talked about it. I love you guys. I'm sorry I tricked you. Um, but, um, uh, but what ends up happening is... Um, uh, later, uh, another one of the PCs has been in a decade-long romance with this other PC. She plays the archer of the group, and she believes that her true love has died. She goes to find this witch. The witch steals her, uh, uh, casts a curse on her and steals her sight. Now she's an archer without the gift of sight, and she goes into this whole, they, they find this wizard. They get bad beaten, Right. Wizard turns the other, the PC wizard to stone, captures another, takes their cleric. Only the archer, who is heartbroken uh, beyond belief, believes that her true love is dead. All her other allies are captured, runs off to the, all the different four winds. Uh, uh, she is running through the jungle, being pursued by these tiefling catfolk things that are coming after her. She has, she has no magic. She has no way to get out. She has to go through the jungle blind to get there. Uh, she calls up this, uh, she got a favor from a little fairy pixie that when <laughs> her true love was captured, she said, please give a kiss to my true love. Like, go go find him and tell him that we're looking for him. We're going to find him. Then all the stuff happens. Mm. So she calls up that fairy to be like, like, okay, I need to, I need a new favor. You need to help me get out of this jungle. Fairy shows up and says, okay, but I'm still not, um, I'm still not like, done with my first favor to give a kiss to your true love and she players like crying going like my true love is dead there is no way for you to complete that first favor and i as the dm go the fairy looks at you confused and says like my liege if if that favor were impossible i would have disappeared in magic i would have died like if i can't complete your your boon i would be gone mm. and so she, you know the, the archer goes like what does that mean? And the pixie goes, 
it means that giving a kiss to your true love one last time is not impossible. Table goes completely silent. And I go, we cut to Nick in prison. Boom! Table's looking like, what the fuck? You motherfucker! You motherfucker! Um, uh, We cut to Nick and we go, yes, you you were polymorphed. There was a spy. You're still alive. There is still hope. Um, In any case, the end of the story is after a long complex adventure, she gets to the mountainside outside of this place. Um, and is over the mountainside looking at this castle where she knows her, knows her true love is being kept. She, I was like, you have one chance here to, and there's like a reconciliation with the witch that cursed her. And we, uh, uh, and the, the, it's like this one last thing of like, can you, like, can you still find like Archer? How true is your sight? Can you still find your one true love? I said, you have one chance because they're going to find you in this castle. She rolls the dice. It bounces across the table and lands in the cusp of a teaspoon that was on the table <laughs> in a, on a nat 20. Wow. Uh, Holy wow. shit. Wow. Holy shit. I can't, I cannot imagine that table right now. Like that would have been... I gen I genuinely think my brain would have leaked out of my ears in that moment with pure joy and wow glue glue the die to the table yeah the table. never glue touch that, that to table spoon, just take that never touch yeah, that we, table again is, frame it yeah just cut that section of the table out yeah grief yeah. gang wow Ooh, uh, that is phenomenal that yeah. is truly phenomenal mm. the, the um, teaspoon nat twenty we will speak of forever for sure. The teaspoon nat twenty. Mm. That's oh, wow, 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 wow. I'm so glad you shared that story because that is, oh, what? Well, I went on a, I went on a true adventure then. Yeah. Like I was really in this, just like holy crap. Yes, yes. Um, uh, wow, Brennan, that was phenomenal. What a conversation. Uh, I think I speak for all of us that that was a. It felt like a really a fantastic conversation and and really really uh, happy and sort of proud to have had you on the show. Uh, definitely feels like a big moment for us to be engaging in these kind of conversations and to have you say those things uh, about our show um, is 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 truly phenomenal. Um, I, I feel like I, I have I have to just everyone who listens to this show is going to know who you are. Um, but if you've got anything that you would like to shout and scream about or or where people can find you, etc., please uh, feel free to to chuck this stuff in there now. Uh, of course, uh, gang, uh, uh, you can check out our show Dimension 20, a bunch of, we're, uh, we're an anthology D&D show, uh, come check us out, we have a bunch of awesome core cast seasons, a bunch of awesome side quests with guest players, um, you can find me online at BrennanLM on Twitter or at BrennanLeeMulligan on Instagram, uh, and what a goddamn pleasure and an honor, I, it's, it was such a delight, um, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Really was. Thank you. And so thank mm. you very much for listening. So long, Shire folk. So long, Shire woo! folk. So long, Shire folk. Hell yeah. Woo! 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>